There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Miles. They have HIV. Let's talk about it. Um, I am... So excited for this conversation. Um, we are going to be talking about all manner of things. We're going to be talking about HIV. We're going to be talking about mental health. We're going to talk about sexual health. We're going to be talking about sobriety. We're going to be talking about harm reduction. Uh, we're going to be talking about maybe fashion. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Just a little dash We're joined by Miles Sexton. Um, Miles, I'm, you know what? You, you, you are... You have a resume that I don't want to fuck this up. So I'm going to give the mic to you. Give yourself a warm introduction to the listeners. I mean, if anybody's living under a rock and don't know who you are, perhaps speak to them to let them know who is Miles Sexton. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, so basically I work as a content creator. I'm a sober HIV AIDS advocate. Um, I also just recently won uh, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Award for Digital Content Creator of the Year, which was really exciting. Ooh, amazing. Um, yeah, I also work as like a TV personality. So you might see me on City Line doing like styling segments as well as like Your Morning or Breakfast Television or The Social. Uh, definitely I've been breaking into sort of the, the, <laughs> the TV sort of world. But yeah, but my background actually came from when I was living out on the East Coast. I actually started modeling out there and doing kind of background work and film and TV and that sort of I guess like took my or like sparked my career and then that led me into like makeup which then has sort of like led me down this path of just wearing many different hats uh to express my I think my creativity so <laughs> very cool very cool very I uh <clears throat> yeah I've, I've watched like a couple of your your um segments on city tv oh yeah and <laughs> uh and every time I every time I see you Miles I'm always like Oh, I wish I could pull off those pants, or like, oh, I wish I could pull off that sure dresser. I'm sure I could, but I, but I, I mean, we'll we'll probably get into it later. You know what? True, that fashion is really just about confidence. I think so. A hundred percent. I think it's. I, I think again. I think we have to like let go of our own internalized shame, and I think like the pressure of like being judged by others in order to like freely, I think, express who we are. You know, mm -hmm. I. I, I, I like for me, I guess fashion was always like a, something I used to protect myself. I think like I was like, if I looked really good, I felt like people couldn't touch me, you know, mm. and couldn't say anything. And like, you Kinda know, true, like, yeah, like, I don't know. It just it gave me the confidence I think I needed in, in high school and, and throughout my life to mm -hmm. sort of like keep pushing forward, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. I, I have like a, I, I like can very much relate to that in the sense that like I I have always felt like my I have very short legs proportional <laughs> to my body. Mm -hmm. okay. And so high top shoes were always like a no fly zone because I thought totally. it makes my shins look like they are thumbs. 
and 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 then and and then chins look like they're just that's that's such a great visual. They're just like little stubby things. It's I mean you're right. And then, and then, and then, and then I, and then I got, and then I got a pair of high tops, which I'm wearing right now, yeah. and I absolutely love them. And after just like you know wearing them for like two weeks, I went, you know what? I can't believe I Fuck thought, it. I can't believe yeah. I carried that thought with me. Yeah. You just made for me self so long. You just made me because I've always worn like high tops and high socks, and and I have short. You legs. got the thumb and thing now, going on too. Now I feel like I have thumb legs. No. But it's like a com- but it is a confidence thing because like I I I just went oh I haven't. I, I've always carried that with me, that thought with me. Mm-hmm. I buy the shoes, I wear the shoes, and then the thought, like day by day, fades away into oblivion until it's no longer there and it's replaced with, what the fuck was I thinking that whole yeah, time? Right. I love this. Yeah. I love these. I love the way that it looks. I love the way that it feels. Like, uh, shame, shame abolished. Ta da. I, exactly, but you also chose white ones, which are like more neutral, right? So, like, if you were to like use black or like something super bold, it's gonna like you're right. maybe like make that proportion shrink it a bit, right? right. So, yes. going it's... with white, it kind of like elongates, right, and blends in a bit more with our ah. our pasty skin. Whoa. This is what I'm talking about. This, this is what I mean when I when I love getting those like those fashion tidbits. This is what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, because like, I love it. Because you say that, and I'm like, oh right, I nice. do feel that, but I never, yeah. I never like intellectualize right. it in that way. Yeah. I can never put it into words that way i need totally. to just be Colored naked all the time <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, if i mean naked all the time maybe i'll look more elongated if, hey, yeah, if you do it with confidence not? if you do it with confidence maybe dude, you won't get arrested dude when i'm naked um, i feel so long <laughs> and when i am clothed i feel <laughs> very right. not long me okay. too let's uh let's let's bring it back we'll we're, it we're in. off the rails here we'll um it in. one thing miles that you that i don't think you mentioned in your in your introduction um to yourself, yes. um, I love how I just go. I'm, I, I don't, I, I don't want to fuck it up. I just let everybody else do their own introduction. Oh, but, um, but you also have a new podcast um, yes, that, that you do. and your partner have started called Our Private Bits. Give us a little bit of um, a, a rundown on what Our Private Bits is all about. Yes, absolutely. So super excited about this because so I started this sort of like. Um, like advocacy series online where like I educate people on different topics, but like, you know, with TikTok and Instagram, you're kind of confined to like 60 seconds. And so it's super hard to like really get into topics Mm. that, that, that I would love to like go in depth for. So I think with the podcast, it really was just like an elongated format of these sort of like topics around like sexual health, like mental health, harm reduction, just relationships. Um, We really like for, for the first like few episodes, we're really kind of like double clicking in, in into our, relationship so my my fiance Tyler he's like a trans man and you know for myself being non-binary and so both of us are a part of this sort of trans umbrella mm-hmm. so you know I think a lot of people are like there's a lot of like misinformation and and fear I think that that sort of like exists around I think just the word trans in this sort of moment mm. so um yeah we really just wanted the podcast to just be like a really empowering and positive place to like have these sort of conversations for people to learn and grow mm. in a way that maybe they're not feeling like they're being judged or asking silly questions you know I think we just have a lot of fun with it so I love I love the name of the podcast too like our private bits it's, it's a great it's a great title for this you know the subject matter that you're diving into to yeah just like open it up. It's great. And a many, so enta- many, a many entendre. Yes. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> um, so let's, let's dive into talking about HIV. Um, okay. It's, it's not something that we've covered a whole lot over the eight years of doing the show. A couple times. And a couple times. I, uh, yeah, a couple times. Um, but I would love to just, um, I'd love to hear kind of like the, your, your sort of like, like chronological experience with HIV. Take us all the way back to, um, I guess like the moment that that word sort of changed its meaning 
for you when it became your reality. Um, mm-hmm. And what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so... I mean, all of us growing up in the East Coast, I think we're all probably pretty scarred from our sexual health classes or those like dare classes that we would have to go to. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. yep. and you know, so like, to be honest, like I had so much internalized kind of like shame and fear just around sexual health that, you know, I was like super young when I moved to Toronto. I was like 18 years old, was very like sexually active and just trying to discover who I was. And, and So I didn't really know a lot, to be honest, about HIV. Um, And like my only reference point, I think, for HIV was like the 80s where you would see people in the hospitals with all the sores all over their faces and bodies. And so I was like, oh, well, I'm not sleeping with anyone like that. So I'm not going to get HIV. Like that's my was my level of education. And I also was like going and getting um, like, you know, routinely like getting STI uh, tests, Mm -hmm. like sexually transmitted infections. And but like I was never getting blood work done because no one ever taught me, but that's how you test for HIV. Uh, and so and it was, do you mind if I yeah, just yeah, ask? Yeah, like, yeah, of course. And, and um, sorry, just for context, you were, yes. you were about 18 when you moved to Toronto. How old are you now? Yeah. I'm 32 now. 32. Okay. Yes. So when you were, when you were getting the, these STI tests done back then, um, yes. I, maybe it's changed, maybe it's different, but I know that like when, uh, when I get STI tests done, yes. Um, I'm always asked if I am sleeping with other men. Like that's yeah, one of the okay, like one totally. of the standard questions. Yeah. Was that a question that came up when you were getting tested back when you were no. 18? Or they no. were just like, oh yeah, just you know, swab your dick or piss in this cup and then we're done. Well, and that was just it. Like I would like because I didn't have a family doctor, I was just going to walk-in clinics. So like my level of care was definitely not right. very good. But I kept going right. back to the same place because it was like where I'd always had gone. So a, they were, they weren't giving me any like throat or rectal swabs. I literally was like peeing in a cup and like, that was it. That's it. And yeah. like, and so it was just like, they weren't even correctly testing me for all of the things that I wanted to get tested for. So like, it was like, huh. yeah. So it was just, it was really like unfortunate. I think how like healthcare system, I think in many ways, like sort of like failed to help educate me, but though I also had to educate myself, like I have to mm-hmm. own that too, mm-hmm. but you know, it's a kind of a 50, 50 thing. So then like we'll fast forward i'm like 26 years old i'm in in like a a long-term relationship with someone and i've been like kind of like pretty sick for like two three years of my relationship with this person and we just like couldn't figure out what was wrong with me um and then eventually like i end up going they opened up like a another clinic um like within my the office building that i was working in and i was like Anyway, I went to go get tested for something else. And and the like nurse there was like, are you okay if we like do like a full screening of like all these STI tests? And I was like, okay. And then she's like, okay, you're going to go have to get blood work and we're going to do all these swabs. And it was like the first time that I was like, but why are you doing all of this? And she sort of educated me on why. And and part of me in my heart was like, oh shit, like I think I have HIV and this is why I'm sick. But like, I didn't want to believe it. And then like three days later, I get a phone call. It's like a long weekend. I'm like, you know, two and a half hours outside of Toronto, like working somewhere. And I get a phone call from like the walk-in clinic being like, can you get come back to the clinic like right away? And I was like, no, like I'm, it's a long weekend. I'm, I'm out of town. And they're like, okay, well, you tested positive for HIV, which is like super like Whoa. horrible that they did Ugh. that over the phone. Ugh. And I'm in like my car in a parking lot. And I just like, literally, I thought I was 26 years old and I was going to die. And like, yeah, that was yeah. it. Like, cause that's all I knew about HIV, you know? And so, 
yeah, it was like a really harsh reality. I think like when you're trying to like process, I just, just thinking that like, Hey, like, I can't believe this is happening. Like I'm going to die. And I had to wait like almost a month before I could see like a specialist, like uh, at like a specialist HIV clinic in order to even like learn that like there's medication and all of this sort of like piece because like I didn't know how far along it was right like Mm -hmm. I I definitely like noticed that I I had like the side effects of it like uh you know starting to happen with my immune system but um yeah it really can you know if it had turned to AIDS I could have potentially died which is so scary I'm I'm surprised they don't turn they don't they I'm surprised they don't like they're not like you need to see somebody right now yeah because of because of the nature that you 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 exactly you, you've, been, you've you've felt sick for quite a long time mm, and totally like, who knows who knows like how much time there is until it you know becomes it yes. becomes an issue that like is is irreversible what did that mm, sick 100%. like when you say you were sick for a long time um how did that how did that manifest like what did that look like what kind of sick are we are we talking so like, it was strange the way where I, it kind of like took hold. So like, I was constantly sort of like going through this like sinus throat, like kind of infection sort of piece. It was like, I just was like constantly catching like everything that like was out and about, you know? So it was like, it was really weird. So like, you know, I was going to see like an like a, uh, eye, ear, throat doctor or like nose throat doctor, like trying to figure out if it was something here, you know? But then like all the results came back negative. They're like, no, you just keep getting like throat infection. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. that's weird. And then, then like, it kind of started to affect my digestive system and like how I was like, I kind of just stopped being able to break down food, which was like really weird. And then mm. I had this like, really, I, it was like basically a flu, but it was like the worst flu. Like I was like out of commission for like three weeks. I ended up having to like go into the hospital because I was so dehydrated. Like it was just like, I, my body just like just like kind of slowly and slowly stop being able to like fight off these like basic viruses. Mm -hmm. And so so it was pretty scary. My hair started falling out. Like, yeah, it was so bizarre. Like such a wild time. Miles, I'm curious about the, the moment, like you get that, that Mm -hmm. call Mm -hmm. in the car. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm imagining like trying to grapple with like what your understanding of, of that, you know, being told that you have HIV, what that means Mm -hmm. to you at the time. And like, what, sort of goes through your head and, and what your like next steps are. I just like, I imagine sitting there being basically mm. like incapacitated, not knowing and it's what arguably, to, like, figure out. Arguably the most stigmatized illness right. to yes. ever exist. Which is like, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I'm curious about that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's kind of interesting because I was in a relationship at that time. I think what was going through my head was like, Oh my God, did I give it to my partner? you know and that's really like what it was like all that I could think about and also like I now have to tell this person that I like that this has happened and like how do I have this conversation and like just the amount of like guilt and sort of shame that I was like sort of experiencing and like you know I definitely like questioned taking my life in that moment because Mm -hmm. I was like I don't know like it was really hard like do I have the courage (laughs) to be able to face this sort of like reality, you know, and be able to like move through, I think this trauma that I'm about to go through, you know, it was, yeah, it was really hard. And honestly, I don't like, I had to drive from like Niagara Falls, like back to Toronto. Cause I was like, I can't, I can't do this. And I honestly don't even know how I made it home. Cause it was like, I was crying so hard the whole time. Ooh. And it was just like, I had like people on the phone, but I don't even remember the conversations that I was having with them just trying to like, keep me focused, you know? Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, it was, it was, it was like a, a blur. That's for sure. Yeah. Do you, what, what, like when you eventually <laughs> had the conversation with your partner, what was that like? I mean, it was interesting. I think like I appreciated that in the moment that he was like very, I think, empathetic and like was trying to be there for me and like, you know, we'll like figure this out sort of thing. But I feel like that didn't last like a very long time. You know, it sort of like became this thing that like he didn't want to talk about. And, you know, as like, you know, as we went on, like he was in a clear, he didn't contract HIV. And so like that was amazing. And I was so happy to like, to not have that guilt, I guess, of like yeah. doing that to another person, you know, kind of unknowingly. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was, it was hard. And, and it ultimately was kind of like what ended our relationship Sure, in a sense was just like, I think us going through this sort of like traumatic experience really like mm -hmm. showed me, I think like the type of support maybe I need from a partner and um, I don't think that he was able to really give that to me, yeah. <laughs> at the yeah, which, time, so. which is not uncommon, you know, for yeah. like, not just HIV, but like, um, oh, really? I mean, we've heard it time and time and time again, like people who get a cancer diagnosis or, yes. you know, any, any kind of like any kind of, or even gr like grief is a big one. Grief, Losing a exactly. child, you know, it's like it, it, it really, it really stress, it, it puts stress on a relationship where, mm -hmm. In some ways, I mean, you could look at it as like a, it was a great filter. It was a great way for both of us to realize that like maybe we aren't what we need for mm -hmm. ourselves. And um, but it's it's it's, it's never yeah it's it's never easy. This is, um, totally. This is a uh, this is a, a little bit of a detour, and and yes. I and I don't want to I don't want to veer us um, onto the I I, I don't want to veer us onto this topic really at all. But it it but it does serve. Uh, it is coming up to me as like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if if you felt a sense of this does the green work with the white on his <laughs> shoes <laughs> it's just burning the question has been burning <laughs> um, is that 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 feeling of that feeling of uh, of shame or guilt um that was like brewing when you learned that you had hiv mm -hmm. it it sort of like reminds me of how we were all really conditioned to feel in the la over the past few years with COVID mm -hmm. and how 100%. it was like, like did, did it feel like, did COVID feel like entering back into this world mm. of that you, that you felt when you learned about having HIV and the, and all the stuff that came with that, the emotional stuff? I mean, I think I was much more prepared, I think than like the general <laughs> right. population, but right. it honestly was like, to me, I kind of found it a little funny because I was like, oh, okay, now the entire world gets to understand what I experienced, right. you know, to a, to a certain degree of like people stigmatizing other people, you yeah. know, I think everyone was really like shaming people on, you know, how they were like going about their day in their life. If they had yeah. COVID, you know, it was just like, it kind of became this thing. So, and, you know, and also like the sort of like unrecognition of you know, I think we were able to respond so quickly to COVID-19 due to the HIV totally, like, yeah. epidemic that happened. Totally. Right. And so, but like we didn't, but there was no recognition of that, which kind of bothered me. It was like, okay, like even just like down to like how they created the test, like that test comes from like an HIV test. Ooh. So it's like, you know, I, so I think it's interesting just like, you know, that, that whole sort of piece and, and hopefully it's it allowed the world to maybe have a bit more empathy, I think, in these situations when they are compared. So, yeah, hope, yeah, hopefully. I, um, so I, just to, just to kind of, um, just to 
get some clarification here again because yes. we 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 haven't really talked about HIV a whole lot over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so HIV today is very yes. different than what it was in the eighties. One hundred percent. In terms of the ways that we can manage HIV, uh, yes. prevent it from turning into AIDS. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us like a little rundown on 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 the difference between HIV and AIDS? Yes. And and then maybe walk us through like what is the what what does it you know when someone like yourself gets HIV in mm-hmm. the time that we live in now or yeah. you know 7 years ago or whatever it was for you um what does that look like now? Um you know totally. obviously it's not a it's not necessarily a death sentence like yes. It it very well could was a, a while yes. back. So what what is what's the difference between HIV and AIDS and and what does it look like when someone gets a diagnosis today? Perfect. So HIV is really like the beginning stages of, of like, we'll say AIDS, right? So it's just like there, it's when the virus is like in the body, it's like slowly sort of trying, like making copies of itself. And for every person, it can like react differently. Like some people, it can progress very quickly into AIDS, um, where it's like basically the virus like completely destroys your entire immune system. So like you don't have an immune system is basically when it when it becomes AIDS, that's, that's sort of like the, the kind of like the breaking point. Um, and it's really hard, like even like now with modern medication, like, yes, they, they can reverse it to certain degrees, but there is still people who die of AIDS today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you don't want it to get to that point where it's like extremely severe. Um, but, but what's really cool is like now because of modern medicine, like I just take a pill every single day and like I live an undetectable life. So undetectable mm-hmm. means that I can't transmit it. I can't give it to anyone else. It has no like actual physical effects on my body, wow. um, which is incredible, right? Because, yeah. you know, we oh, lost yeah. like 33 million people yeah. to HIV. Yeah. So like, you know, this is like a very like transformative drug. And mm. and then there's also now like PrEP, which exists, which people can take to help prevent contracting HIV. So it's just amazing that we have sort of these two types of medications. And, mm. and they're even now um, in the clinical trials of, of an injection um, that you can get. Like, so for someone like myself, I would maybe have to get like an injection every month or every couple of months. And that would be it. Like I wouldn't mm. have to keep taking a pill every single day. So it's wow. it's definitely like, we're getting closer and closer to like a cure, I hope, um, for HIV. And I think in my lifetime, we're definitely going to see it, Ooh. which is amazing. <laughs> what is, what is the pill? So, so, uh, when you were, when you were first describing the pill that you take every day, I was yes. thinking prep, but prep is, prep is to, is, is to like prep. a prophylactic. Prep. So, yeah, it, uh, what is, what is the medication that you take? And do you know like how it's working? Like what the mechanism is? Yeah. So with mine, basically what it like, so mine does have part of prep in it. Sure. So it's sort of like the one that I take is called Trimic and it's like part of, it's like three different drugs basically mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. combined together. Um, but it basically like makes the HIV virus like hibernate and then like, it like basically makes it dormant in your, in your body so that it's like not active. It's not making copies. It's not attacking like your immune system is based like kind of cool. uh, basically how it works, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I feel like this really is, neat. this is like, this is the most important thing for like it, th- like this, this information needs to be mm-hmm. like blasted in times square because, yes. because it wasn't until we did, we had our first conversation on, on this show when I would have been 25 or so mm-hmm. that I learned that HIV wasn't a like yeah. the the thing that I yeah. that I the thing of that was in the images from the 80s and 90s yeah, of, of people exactly. dying like and and it's crazy that I 
wasn't aware of that. Like mm-hmm. that is wild that I wasn't aware of mm-hmm. that. And there are so many people out there that that are that are not. And they they that's their 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 image of HIV in their heads is like is oh oh you have HIV you're gonna die. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Ooh. And I think another big thing that I think is just really important to share is that for the first time, like in our history of HIV, now the highest like newly infected cases are in women. So it's no longer like a gay man's disease is like what it's sort of been labeled as, um, which is like pretty, pretty scary, you know, to think is that. And and unfortunately, in Canada, we have actually some of the highest like increased rates of age, like of newly infected people, like Mm. in the entire world. Oh, wow. Which is terrifying, but it's because people don't educate themselves and like don't think about it, you know, and it's like. That, that's just it is like we you would think with all of like prep and like HIV medication that exists that we it should be like you know managed right but it's not it's just yeah. getting worse and worse every single year and um it's it's kind of scary like I do a lot of work with canfar and, and sex fluent which are two amazing nonprofits that are like you know one mm-hmm. kind of fundraises for HIV and the other is more focused on education um and you know it's just like for the amount of work that we do it's just people just choose to live in this sort of bubble and be like, Oh, it's not going to happen to me. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Miles, like what is, what is the level of, of like awareness and education in the queer community about, um, you know, these drugs and HIV in general, like, mm-hmm. because, you know, like, like Taylor mentioned, you know, other than having a few conversations about this on the podcast over the past like 10 years, I really don't, I don't feel like I hear much, about this in although it's like incredibly important to be talking about Mm -hmm. but i'm curious like in the queer community is this more common knowledge and more commonly talked about yeah i mean it depends on where you are right so like it's kind of funny like i laugh (laughs) as someone who enjoys porn they often advertise like at the beginning of like your free clip of porn that you're watching (laughs) like about like hiv and 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 all of the things like that so like I feel like they're finding like creative ways to like educate, I think like that target audience sort of like on prep and and HIV and that sort of piece. So like, I I think it it makes me laugh, but like, but then on the other hand, there is no education, I think for like, you know, a very like hetero sort of like, you know, partnerships on it because it's like, they're not, they're not targeting that, that audience at all. And it's Mm -hmm. like, but, and I think that's, so we're seeing the positive effects, I think of sort of like, you know, educating the queer community on it and, you know, the decrease now to the point that it's like now women are the most highly infected people Mm -hmm. with HIV, but you know, so it it definitely needs to happen. But then the other issue becomes, it's like, who's paying for it, right? Like the government is like, okay, they just donated all of this money on getting these like HIV, like self-test kits that you can get shipped to your house for free. But where is like the money from the government to help educate people? That always seems to be the gap. Like the, the, it's like you do the thing that you can do something with, but yes. nobody knows, but nobody, <clears throat> nobody ever gets told that it, mm. that they've made it mm-hmm. and that exactly. it's available. And look at like the education systems and how like school boards are now, a lot of them are like completely removing like any sort of sexual health education, any sort of gender identity education. And it's like, no, like abstinence and shame is not like the solve here, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, like how have we not fucking learned that already with exactly. generations of yeah. that, of abstinence based sexual education it's like we are just we are setting ourselves up to fuck the future generations 
And and uh, that's probably not the great uh, the great way. To no, but it but it, it but, but it is. But, yeah, fuck with, them over with with <laughs> uh, with HIV and AIDS. Like like my, I think the only place that I can recall seeing anything about HIV and AIDS in like the recent past is like typically like a New York Times article about the yes. about the ongoing issue on the mm-hmm. African continent. Like yeah. it's like it's almost like it's an like it's it's almost exclusively in 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 Western. Um, um, like media, it's an Africa problem, and it's like it's yeah. something to be solved on that continent, and like it's not something that like we really need to think about. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch, and I'm Greg, and we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts obviously hearing the fact that you 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 got hiv while you were away mm-hmm. was like probably one of the hardest things you've ever experienced in your entire life um <laughs> uh when you got back to the city and you started treatment mm-hmm. um what was that experience like you know was it was it um, were you surprised at, at the, the, the sort of advancements that we had made in, in treating HIV? Were, were they just like, yeah, don't worry about it. Just take a pill and you, you'll likely be fine. Like what yeah. was the, what was the sort of treatment experience and did you have ups and downs or was it pretty smooth sailing? So it was so funny. So like when I went and saw my specialist, um, like for getting my medication and all of this, you know, I think because for like the doctor, it's so like normal. And obviously this is his everyday life. He was so casual about it, but that made me so upset. Like I was like, I just went through a month before I could get here. And you're like, basically like, Oh, here you go. And like, that was it. And I was like, I'm an emotional wreck. Like I am mentally unstable right now. And like, you're handing me this bottle of medication and being like, okay, well, this is going to fix your problem. Don't worry about it. And like, so, you know, it was a bit hard. And like, also like, when when you go through sort of the process they also like vaccinate you for like everything under the sun like it's like any possible virus that you could potentially get like i Ah. so it's just like i felt like i was getting like stabbed with a million needles and i had to keep getting all this like blood taken like every time i get like i do sort of my tests just to make sure that my medication's like working they maybe take like 10 vials of blood it's like a lot you know so like yeah it's just like this very like you kind of like lose sort of your sense of like your body because I felt like I was like just constantly, I don't know. It's a bit of like a rapey feeling in many ways of just right. like constantly getting You're like a guinea pig. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like Ooh. it was super strange. And, you know, and I really don't think like it only took me three months on the medication to become un- undetectable, which wow. is amazing that it works That's that wild. fast. But it also like, I felt like the medication was like, was sort of like the first step. But like really the healing for me like began like mentally, like after I became yeah. undetectable. And yeah. I sort of had to go through that like psychological journey of just like reclaiming my power, I think, over my own internalized stigma and shame, navigating what dating was going to be like going forward and like mm-hmm. the shame that's associated mm-hmm. to sort of that. And then also like how I, you know, talk about it, I think, to the world. So, yeah, it, it was it was super hard because. I, I felt like I lost, I was stripped of like the identity of who I thought I was because, you know, at the end of the day, I got HIV because I didn't love myself and I allowed Ooh. shame 
to like really take over. And, and I, you know, for me, it's like, you know, I think substance use has been, you know, an addiction has sort of been something that's like been very like a, you know, been a script for, for me, but sex was sort of the one that was the worst out of all of them. So, you know, really Mm. validating myself through sex was sort of like the way that I numbed. Mm. And so like, you know, when you're sort of like trying, but you know, at the end of the day, I was like, I didn't have anyone to blame, but myself, like, I'm trying to like, swallow that it was you know that was really hard (laughs) i mean it's like it's it's uh to go back to kind of like the education and the advocacy Mm. um bit it's like it's like you you and and the casual nature of the doctor as well is like totally is like it's casual for him because he understands that if you take this drug it's Mm -hmm. you're gonna be okay yeah, and, exactly. And, and and that and that and that this medication has been available. But to mm-hmm. you, you like that's not that's not your that's not where your head no. is at at all. You're you're like you're coming at it from this totally different perspective. And it's because it's because of like a just like a like a national or global lack of education on mm-hmm. where we are right now with this condition, with this disease. Yes. It's like if you if you had known that before and got that like that, that whole, that yeah. month leading up would have been a totally different experience and, totally. and, and all the hardship that came along with it. Like for, for people that are not, for people that are, are educated on this now, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be that same experience for exactly. them. Exactly. Mm. It's all, there's, there's also tied to that. I mean, not just the, the lack of like awareness of where we are with treatment and stuff like that. There's mm-hmm. also the fact that it's a, sexually transmitted disease mm-hmm. and and like you know if you if t- take aids out of the picture if you, if you or sorry hiv out of the picture mm-hmm. if you if you go out and catch chlamydia mm-hmm. or you go out and, and or you go out and you get covid yes i mean those are two very different feelings like there's a lot of shame that comes with getting yes. chlamydia where you're totally. like fuck i'm embarrassed i don't want to tell anybody this but where you get covid you're like ah, i got covid my you know i got i'll tell my mom i'll tell my parents i'll tell i'll tell my friends but like yes. chlamydia you're like nah, i might just like might not tell everybody yeah I'll just go and get medication like, and because whatever. it's there's shame attached to it because it was an totally. sti it, it, yeah. you mm-hmm. know all these things so it's like there is the the the, the you know there's so many elements to this as to why it it would be hard, but mm-hmm. I think I, I I really do think that a big piece here is the fact that at least here, like in the Western world, we the, the ways that we view and talk about or lack thereof, you know, don't talk about sex mm-hmm. is such a fucking massive problem, mm-hmm. and that 100%. problem trickles down into so many aspects of our lives that it's totally. it's hard to like even wrap your head around. Um, I just wanted to ask, um, like we've heard it, we've heard a lot from people who have recovered from like physical, uh, illnesses or diseases mm-hmm. that it's often not the hardest part of, of, of yeah. getting better. It's oftentimes yeah. the, the, the sort of mental health journey that mm-hmm. ensues afterwards. And I'm curious because like in my mind, when you were telling your story, I was thinking like, Oh, like as soon as miles gets to undetectable, like that's, you know, Smooth it's going to be sailing. so great after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious though, like in, in getting back into dating, even as an undetectable person living with HIV, mm-hmm. like what sort of, what sort of mental health impacts and, and challenges emotionally did you go through in like trying to learn and understand and navigate life? Um, 
being an undetectable person with HIV? So, you know, it was interesting because like when I was diagnosed, it also was sort of like the pivotal point of when I got sober, because like I felt like I needed to be sober in order to like be able to process this. But like I also like HIV was sort of like, I guess, like turning point of like, okay, I now need to also face like the last like 26 years of like my trauma and shame and like things that have sort of happened in my life. And like, I felt like I had to sort of like break down and sit with that sort of like each of those moments in order to like be able to really confront how I felt about HIV just because like I think I was really numbing and suppressing and avoiding I think a lot that was going on in my life and that was sort of the moment of like okay so what was kind of nice I think (laughs) about sort of the whole situation was you know that the pandemic happened and I was working a job that I had to travel like all over the world for. So like I was never in one place for like a short, for a long period of time. And so it was like the first time that I was like confined to my house for like an entire year. And like, I just spent so much time like reading and meditating and journaling and just trying to like work, I think like on sort of this sort of like trauma that it really allowed me to like find space, I think, to just like reclaim like my power over it. And and it also was like a pivotal point for me on social because it like I after sort of like navigating kind of my own feelings and working through my trauma, I like announced on social media that, you know, that I was sober. I announced on social media that I was um, that I was HIV positive. And I guess it was sort of like a way for me to like hold myself accountable for like mm-hmm. the the like the growth that I'm trying mm-hmm. to like encourage and practice, I think, in my life. Um Back, sorry, back to your question about like dating. It was that was like probably one of the harder parts, just based <laughs> off of like people's reactions. Cause like you don't, I didn't know how people were gonna react and like what their own personal experience mm-hmm. was with it. So, like, you know, like there was this one, I tell this story a lot. Like, there was this one guy I went on a date with, like it was going really well. And we ended up coming back to my place to have like some tea or something. We end up like making out. And I was like, oh God, I'm gonna have to tell this person that I'm HIV positive and like kind of go through this and you know I was still I was still practicing and trying to like figure out like what was the best way for me to do this and I you know after we were making out I like told him and then he like looked at me like I murdered him and he was like what the fuck like you gave me HIV and I was like no that's not possible and like I'm trying to like educate him and then he started getting like physically violent with me and I like Uh, now had to like remove this person uh, from my home like physically but like I'm not like a very strong person and the only thing I got going for me is my height so like it's just yeah it was like a very scary situation Uh, so like you know so it's like one of these things of like it's it you know as I sort of like grew and became more comfortable with it like I would sort of like write it you know in my dating profiles or things like that just to try to like avoid I think any of those like types of people but that are maybe not as educated as as oh my goodness like even just to hear like to hear someone think that you could contract HIV from from yeah. like yeah. I mean, shoving someone, <laughs> shoving your tongue in someone's throat. Just goes like, back to the yeah. whole education thing. Uh, that breaks my heart. I am curious. Um, I re- like. I genuinely just don't know anything about this, but uh, I'm curious about That's like okay. the, the like the etiquette in you know when you're an edit when you're an undetectable person. Etiquette's a funny word. I thought he was. I thought he was gonna be like. I don't know anything about this. What is making out like? Like how does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> you, you how do you do it? In somebody's <laughs> mouth? Yeah. Um, like what is it when you're undetectable? Um, what is, what do you have to disclose? I'm guessing that you don't have to disclose anything technically, but I'm guessing the etiquette mm. is probably 
that mm-hmm. you do it. Um, it's a, what, how yeah. does it work? It's a bit of a tricky situation. So like things have progressively gotten a lot better, like with it. So at one point, like right up until like the last few years, like I legally like had to disclose yeah. like my, like my status, because if I didn't, like I could get charged with manslaughter. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. like bananas? Yeah. So like, yeah. so like, yeah, that sort of like that piece. So now that doesn't, that, that is like, it's still like very, to me, I feel it's still very blurred. So it's like the law says that like, if I'm not putting someone in like physical harm with my HIV, I don't need to like, I don't need to disclose my status if I have an undetectable status is basically kind mm-hmm. of like what is what it, what it says. But like, to me, that still isn't enough. I think mm. anyway, to like not disclose it. I like, you know, I, I take like, you know, at the time when I was dating, I would be taking screenshots of like people acknowledging that I have it before oh, wow. I would yeah, like right. meet up with them. Wow. Just because like, I, you just, I've just heard so many horror stories <laughs> sure. of like, you know, an ex tr- just wants to be an asshole and like takes mm. their like positive person to court, you know, and maybe they don't win the case, but they still have to like go through that yeah. trial. Right. And yeah. so I don't know. It's just like, yeah, I, yeah it, it's a little freaky, but now you don't have to, but I still like, yeah. yeah, highly suggested. I mean, and it'll, it'll take yourself. it will take years. Like, even though that rule might be different, it's like we're, we're still we're we're still living with the legacy of the yes. old of the yeah. of the old way yeah. uh, totally. of, of the old rule, and that will take that will take quite a while mm-hmm. to fade yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. I guess I like I understand the you know if you're going to be engaging in like you know um, sexual intercourse with the mm-hmm. with a partner or like acts of sex, like like I understand the like from a communication and respect mm-hmm. perspective, like just being open about um, your situation. Um, but like also it's, it's, it is interesting when the law is like, mm. you're going to be held accountable yeah. for, for this thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've yeah, talked a lot know, about it's, disclosure it's on the show mm-hmm. a lot in terms of like living with any chronic, you know, chronic illness yes. that, yeah. totally. you know, you're, 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 you're starting a relationship and like where in that progression of starting a new relationship, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. do you feel like it's appropriate or like feel like you've come to a, you, you've come to a crossroad where it's it's like become really necessary for you if you're going to go further in the relationship to disclose that you live with an illness and mm-hmm. like how does that impact the mm-hmm. the dynamic between the two and like where is that person's head at in terms of like you know what do they know what do they not know um, and what are they pre- what are they prepared yeah. to be on board with and not and all I mean sorts I, of different I, like things. as someone who lives with cystic fibrosis like I, yes. when I was in the dating pool um, uh, like. For me, I looked at it as as a as a wonderful filter. It was just yeah, like I'll put this totally. I'll put this out there, and also to come back to the the fashion point, like that you you brought up earlier, Bri. If you if you br- if you bring it up with confidence and you go, yeah, this is me, this is my situation, mm-hmm. um, and there's no kind of like there's no sort of hidden shame or 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 fear in in bringing it out. I think it makes it you know mm-hmm. if that person is at all willing to like meet you halfway yeah. then yeah. they see that and it kind of rubs off on them they go okay oh, all right but, yeah but imagine yeah. you legally you legally had to that right to a that's a, i mean that's a whole different thing yeah on the first date yeah you know, or, yeah yeah right like that's it, it it does it does bad. change yeah. it changes the dynamic of it for yeah. sure is it um think, sorry go ahead oh no no go i was i it just popped into my head I'm, i i know we, we actually talked about this on the show not too long ago but um we do so many episodes that it is now washed 
time is time is uh time is 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 just a, a some random creation um is there something is it still a, a thing where you're not allowed to give blood and not 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 if not if you're not if you're hiv positive but if you're just if you are if they're if you're in like male male sexual relationships is it still a thing that they're like you can't give blood so so it has changed, but it's kind of hilarious because yeah. like you can't have had sex. I think it's like for three or six months. So, so I have to look it up, but yeah. it's like some long period of time like that. And I'm like, you, <laughs> one queer person is yeah, not having yeah. sex for like it, three to six months. It literally says you must be in a drastic dry spell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so like, I mean, it's still pretty unrealistic because especially now that like things have shifted, it's like, okay, so like this isn't necessarily like a, a you know, a queer disease anymore. Like, yeah. I don't know. It, it's still like, I think a very stigmatized like statement that totally. they're making to give blood. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, um, I would love to talk about sobriety. Um, yeah. Um, how, like how, how, wait, okay. What to you, what is your, yes. what is your, um, definition of sobriety for you and your life? Yeah. So for me, like the big one has been like six years. I have not drank alcohol. Alcohol was like sort of like one of the bigger ones for me. And then like, I would say like hard, <laughs> hard drugs, like MDMA, sure. those types of things. Um, so yeah, so it's been like, it's been six years for me, which I guess that's sort of like my definition of sobriety is like mm -hmm. not, not partaking in that. I still like, you know, with my partner, we'll, we'll smoke a joint here and there, but that's mm -hmm. like, I, I still feel like that's, it's different, I guess, for me and in, in terms of like my script, I guess, it, yeah. with my relationship with weed. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's like it's it, it's it's I, I look at whenever I hear someone is is who identifies as sober, mm -hmm. it's it's like everybody has their own sort of definition to it. It's a, yeah, uh, for, totally. so for some people, they're like, no, like we like I, I, I will not and cannot go anywhere near marijuana or anything yeah, else totally. for that matter. But then there's people that are like, actually, weed's really really beneficial to my, you know, mm. to my mental health or to, you know, whatever. Um, or you just like have a quote unquote healthier relationship, a healthier where, relationship where to it. Don't yeah. Feel like you're using it as a <clears throat> yeah. you know, coping mechanism. Um, totally. Yeah. I, uh, I during COVID, mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of, it was the first time in my life where I, I sort of slipped into unbeknownst to myself at the time, slipped into like a, a, a dependence on alcohol. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I came to that realization, um, I I decided to just like quit it cold turkey for yeah. for a month to try to ch again change my relationship to it. I still drink now, but it but in a very in a very different way. Um, but it was um, that quitting that quitting that cold turkey. Uh, it, it was it was really the first few weeks were, were extraordinarily difficult, and yeah. I think that for a lot of people who um, who relate to substances in a way um like for for myself a big part of it was like oh but i like i feel like i can't have fun unless i'm drinking mm -hmm. or i can't like so, i can't socialize unless i'm having a drink or something like uh, that and that totally. to me was the hardest part of giving it yes. up is going but it, but i'm not going to be the version of me that i like yeah um so I'm which, curious which about, exists right like right. It, it exists within you but totally. it's like but i need to like 
you know, I need something else in order to do that versus like, <laughs> That's how right. do we like, how do we get there without it? You know, it's like our brains are so fixed on like, what's the easiest way to do something Ooh. that like, I think we just need to like recognize that like, yeah. okay, I actually don't need alcohol to have fun, you know, yeah. and being sober can be amazing and I can like be comfortable in it. But, you know, I think as humans, we're like naturally like anxious, you know, I think that's part of everyone feels that way or like, you know, we live in a world that's like very curated to be extroverted, right? So like alcohol and substances, I think are like such a marketing thing of like, mm. we're going to train and teach people that like, in order to be an extrovert, you need to like, do all of this, which mm. is just, I think, bullshit. So. Yeah. What was, what was the hardest part for you to, to like approach sobriety? And, and also like, how did you go about it? Was it something that you slowly weaned off of? Or did you just go, fuck it, I'm done. I'm cutting it off. So like I had tried to get sober for quite a few years, like prior to getting HIV. Um, but it just like, you know, I kept sort of like falling back into like my own sort of numbing scripts, I think, with it. Um, and then like when when I got HIV, it was sort of like that that was sort of like the pivotal point of like, no, like I, I cannot do this anymore. Um <laughs> I totally forgot the first part of your question. Uh, I, I basically just like, what was the toughest part about that transition for yes. you? Okay. So I guess for me, I think, again, it was like my relationships and like my work because like in the fashion industry, like I could drink every night for free if I wanted to, mm. you know, like mm. there's always an event, there's always alcohol and like substances that are like readily flowing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was like really hard because it was just like, it was people were like shaming me for like not wanting to drink or like, you know, they were like, or just, it was like putting me in these like really uncomfortable sort of conversations that I didn't really want to have at that stage in my journey of my sobriety. So yeah, I think it's just like, you know, I think already I feel a lot of natural shame of like not feeling like I fit in or feeling like an outcast. And now it's like this other layer of, of that, mm. that I'm now presented with what I thought was a safe space, you know, from people because I'm not drinking. So mm. it was, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think it was really like hard to navigate that. And I had to like, kind of like remove myself and mm. in many ways from those situations for a while until I could like go back in like confident in, in my sobriety. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how, how I, 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 uh, thankfully in my like early twenties, mm -hmm. I, I, I grew up, I was very, I, I, in, in hindsight, in my like teens, I was like very concerned with what people thought of me. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't think that at the time. I didn't know that at the time, but in hindsight, that was definitely like very much with me. And in my, and in my early twenties, I really left that behind and like left it behind in a really big way. Awesome. And now look at you, you're wearing high top shoes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Fucking I don't, thumbs out. I don't care. Thumbs <laughs> out, baby. Let's go. <laughs> and I don't care what nobody thinks. <clears throat> and, um, and, and so I, so, so when I am reminded of how other people sometimes do, do judge people and th mm -hmm. I, it, it blows yeah. my mind because yeah. I'm because I have I, I rarely think about that, at least in terms of how it's directed towards me. Yes. And um, and when my when my wife was pregnant, um, I I remember just her talking about how instantly not having a drink is a red flag to everybody around her. Yeah. Mm. Like instantly. It's, it's like if you're at a thing where there is alcohol and you don't have a drink in your hand, it's like. You're pregnant. You must be pregnant. You have to be. I know. Why the, aren't you drinking? I know the yeah. answer to to quashing that in the moment. It's a lie. It's a fib. It's a white lie. But it would work just like that. You go. Oh, I'm, I'm on an antibiotic that uh, 
That'll just yeah. <laughs> like nerf my liver if I drink. Yeah, sure. And then they go. go, "Oh, sorry." Yeah, oh, man, that's but, so crazy. And then, and then, and then, like, that's a And then, like, six weeks later, you go, "Sucker, fucking got you." I actually was. Pregnant. That's a good workaround. And but the fact that it exists at all, yeah. the fact that it is like it yeah. is instantaneous yeah. that not having a drink in your hand is making is 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 setting off some alarm bell in somebody's yeah. head. But again, it comes back to what Miles was saying, which is like we we live in a society that has basically been been like crafted around drinking socially you know it's like yeah, it's just it's so na- it's so normal that Man, i never think about that though like when like if i'm at an event and somebody doesn't have a drink i never no you don't and and kyla said it kyla said it's like it's t- in her in her in her experience orbit. it's like pretty yeah. centered towards pregnant females like it's mm-hmm. pretty centered towards you know other girls going ding 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 like you must be pregnant because yeah. they're all detectives, you know. They all want to sleuth and like figure it out. <laughs> sleuthing is they want to be the first to know. That <laughs> sleuthing is a big baby yeah. sleuthing. Sleuthing's yeah. big. Um, I uh, I'm curious about um, you know, sobri- becoming sober mm-hmm. is is something that comes with. Um. And I'm saying this. I'm saying this based on I I, I have a feeling that you know there's probably some people out there that. Uh, there's probably a lot of people out there listening right now that don't have like uh, don't feel like they have a problem with the way that they drink or the way that they consume any kind of substance. Mm-hmm. It's like I do it in moderation; it's all fine. Um, but uh, so they they probably have never experienced this. But when you do become sober, especially for someone who like like relies on substances uh, pretty heavily, um, there's a there's a really really wide a, a, a broad amount of like of positive repercussions that come with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious about like, how, how did, how do you feel like your life changed looking back at those first few months of sobriety? Like, how did you feel mentally? How did you feel physically? How did you feel mm-hmm. spiritually? I think it's one of those things that people don't realize is like the amount of like mental and physical like clarity, I think that you experience, right? Because like, you know, even regardless of like, whether it's alcohol, or it's like MDMA, or or it's marijuana, like you're still like altering, I think, like your body's like, brain chemistry, right? Like from, from doing these, these sort of things. So it's like, your body has to recover from that all of them react differently, right? Like depending on how they, how they affect your body. But like, you know, with alcohol, I feel like because it's at the end of the day, like when you drink alcohol, you sort of get this little like hit of dopamine, right? So then you have this like rush of this feel good, this like up, this high, but like alcohol naturally is like a carcinogenic depressant, right? Mm. So then you have a crash. Mm. So then that's why people drink more and drink more and drink more. So like, why when you're like remove sort of that like that kind of very vicious sort of cycle i think from your life of like okay like i'm having a bad day i'm gonna have a glass of wine now i'm going on this sort of like dopamine journey like within my brain it's like i don't know i just i felt for me like i was just like i was i was able to like really process i think through so much more in my life and the things even just like the regular things that stressed me out where i would like feel like i'm having an anxiety attack those things actually like slowly started to go away because it was like, I was able to like have a lot more just like clarity and like look at the situation and be able to be like, okay, this is why you're feeling this way. And like, Mm. I think analyze it a bit more. And I mean, I had so much more money. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, like, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. It's great. Like, yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah. shopping. Yeah. But like, you know, it, it's just like, all, there's just so many different like levels of it. And then also just like my relationships with people changed, mm. you know, like, mm-hmm. I think when we start having the courage to be vulnerable and be able to like be open about a lot more of who we are, it's like, I felt like I was able to really get a lot closer with the people in my life too. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. I think I, I just think the amount of positive things and also like learning how to replace, I think the script of like drinking or whatever, like smoking or whatever with something that actually like brings you joy and is like mm. good for you is like, mm. so amazing. You know, like I'm now like a super like an active runner. Like that brings me so much joy. I like love gardening. I now I'm like mm. putting that energy into gardening. I'm, never knew how to cook a thing in my life. I like lived off of Uber Eats and now I'm like a five-star chef, you know, like I just, I don't know. It's like, I I just, I, you have to like, look at like when you're feeling triggered and being like, okay, like I am reaching for a glass of alcohol. Like Mm. what else can you do in that moment to like, that's like brings you joy. Did you teach yourself that that? or did, or did, or did that come from some sort of advice from someone or? So I really love Brene Brown. I don't know if yeah, you've read any yeah. of her books, but like I've, you know, she was sort of like my gateway drug into like <laughs> diagnosing my shame and like, yeah, you know, yeah. so it was like, you know, I think she was sort of the one who started the conversation. There's like another really great book called like The Naked Mind, as well as like The Unexpected Joys of Being Sober, which I think like taught me a lot of these sort mm. of like lessons and just like the scientific effects of like alcohol yeah. and drugs on our bodies and mm. yeah so you know I, I definitely like reached for a lot of like self-help sort of books I never felt like AA was like a safe space for a queer person mm. just because mm-hmm. I felt like it was so heavily based around religion yeah so like I didn't really feel comfortable like going into something like that but you know and then eventually like now I'm like been in therapy for a while and have finally like unpacked that shame that was like preventing mm. me to go to therapy mm. but um yeah, I, I think it's been like a growth journey. <laughs> I'm like I, progressively helping myself. I relate. I relate heavily to that. To that idea of like, I I kind of think of it almost like um, I kind of think of it almost like uh, the scene in the scene in Indiana Jones where he swaps the mm-hmm. where he swaps the bag of sand for like the amulet, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, yes. and it's like it's like it's like if you make that if you make that swap, like you can. If you replace if you replace that with something that like really brings you that joy, like I, I was I in our mid mid twenties, like I'm going out like if it, Saturday, Friday and Saturday, like yes, getting drunk, going to dance at a bar, or whatever, like Friday Saturday every weekend, and then I took up cycling, and it was like, and it was like oh well if I do that on Friday, like I can't get up on Saturday and, and yeah. ride my bike, like, I, I can't ride my bike yeah. on Saturday morning, so it became a choice. And it was mm-hmm. like at at some point the choice to like want to be on my bike on Friday on Saturday morning was greater than the desire yeah. to to like consume a ton of alcohol on Friday night. Exactly. And like when that happened, then that like that was like a that was a sea change for me in my relationship yeah. with alcohol in general. I love that. The only problem with your analogy is that when he made the swap, the whole tomb collapsed. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> like, it was a weight that. ratio yeah. thing. I think yeah. was all. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking like really an know. alternate ending to the scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where, where Indiana, where the movie just ends at the very start, <laughs> beginning right. scene, and it's all as well. Um, Miles, um, uh, I'd love to ask you a question that we ask uh, most of our guests. It's yeah, a two part okay. question. Um, and we'll we'll relate it to to HIV. Um, yes. What what would you say is the biggest thing that HIV has taken away from you? I think HIV has taken away my need to like 
feel normal or like be comfortable. You know, I, I think it, it really like it was the thing that like broke me out of my my shell of Ooh. of my existence and and has really like yeah just allowed me to like remove I think a lot of that stigma and shame that was really like holding me back to just like exist in who I Ooh. am and who I was naturally meant to be. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, they're like one in the same, yeah, I, I guess, yeah. in, in a sense, right? Like, I think the worst thing that's ever happened to me was also the most liberating thing, yeah, you know, yeah. in, in my life. And, you know, I, I, it's, I, I don't, you know, a lot of people would be like, you know, like, would you, if you could go back and like not get HIV like would you choose that and I'm like I don't know like I I just I don't think I would be the person that I am mm -hmm. today without it and mm -hmm. I think it yeah really like opened opened me up to like a whole new like level of self so yeah that's amazing <laughs> well cool. Miles I gotta say your uh your your positivity is is radiant <laughs> and infectious yeah. um I I like I feel I feel more positive just from having this conversation. Like my, my day feels brighter from having getting to sit down and, and chat with you for an hour. Um, we really appreciate you taking your time to, to shoot the shit with us. One more time, uh, folks, the new podcast, Our Private Bits, is out now. You can, you can check it out wherever you find uh, uh, podcasts. Um, but how can people stay up to date with the work that you're doing? How can people find you and, and, um, and just uh, you know get, a, get a, another dose of that, that positivity if they're looking for it? I love it. Well, you can find me on literally every social media platform at Miles Sexton. And it's Miles with a Y, not an I, because I'm mm. not one of those mm -hmm. people. So. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Miles, uh, thank you. This has been a real treat. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And also, I'm giving you all 10s across the board for your outfits. Hey, so. hey, 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 hey. All right. I like that. Uh, yeah. Actually, yeah, actually, before we do let you go, just one, uh, what's, uh, what's one... Um, What's one like upcoming that you think upcoming fashion trend that people should like that keep we should eye, get on that people should keep their eye out for for the coming year? Ooh. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm so like not a trend person, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I feel like I just like I'm like, OK, like what 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 era am I inspired by? Or like, you know, I, I really like gravitate towards like sort of like moments in like history that I, I kind of lean into. But um yeah what, I, I think what's your what's the era right now that's just like speaking to you oh my hardcore. god i've been like so into like sort of like the 70s the like yeah. you know, that sort of like bell bottom the wider leg sort of era headscarves all of like that sort of yeah i thought it was just like a very interesting time in fashion because i think like men's and women's fashion i think were very like similar at totally. that time and, and i loved yeah. like that duality sort of like of that fashion moment so i feel like I, and you know i love thrifting and all of that sort of stuff so it's been kind of fun to like find little outfits that way but very cool cool the year bell bottoms let's go let's go yeah. i'm, yeah. I'm jumping in i want to see you all in a pair <laughs> bell bottoms. Yeah, thank, thank you miles thanks again thank this is so, so fun yeah <laughs> thanks Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. 
We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And, of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.